Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25, 1 Samuel chapter 25, <clears throat> and we are continuing our series entitled Fearless, and we've been looking at the life of David, and I want to tell you, it's been a wonderful journey for myself personally to look at the life of David, and if I can subtitle this message, I would call it Living with Scrooge, Living with Scrooge, and if you look in... 1 Samuel chapter 25, as we have been following through, we've been recognizing that the Lord is using people in David's life to shape David, that the Lord uses so often difficult people to help us to be the people that we need to be, because God was molding and shaping David to be a king, a godly king, a, a leader, and a good servant leader needs to know how to respond to adversity. So God allowed David to go through a lot of adversity, but he also allowed David to deal with some very difficult people in his life. Why? Because as a leader, David is going to become a king of a great nation, and the way that he responds to people is going to determine the future of his kingship. And so God, again, is allowing David to go through some challenges in his life. And we all know that David was living from cave to cave. He was on the run from Saul. And we find in 1 Samuel chapter 24 that David actually has an opportunity to take Saul's life. But he restrains himself and controls himself. Instead of doing something that he knew was wrong, he trusted the Lord. Now we find in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that God is going to use a fool and a female to help David learn how to respond to difficult people. We pick up the story. David moves from the cave of Ajalom, and now he's living in the wilderness of Maom. And the Bible tells us here in 1 Samuel chapter 25, now Samuel died and the Israelites gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. And this is very important. Why? Because Samuel was a prophet. He was a counselor, an advisor to David. David had already lost his best friend, Jonathan. He had lost two women that he loved because Saul gave them to somebody else. He lost a lot of things in his life. And now Samuel dies, and David's not even allowed to go to the funeral because he's still on the run from Saul. And I want to tell you, I want to share with you today, maybe you've lost somebody in your life, and you need to grieve. It's really important for every one of us to grieve the right way. Maybe you've lost somebody through divorce. Maybe you've lost somebody through death. Whatever it may be, we have in our church grief share and divorce care, and you need to be a part of it to get the support you need. Because if you don't grieve the right way, if you don't work through grief in your life, you're going to get stuck. And if you get stuck, you're going to respond to situations and you're going to respond to people in the wrong way. And so we've got to work through that. And unfortunately, David is not able to work through his grief because he's on the run. They have a funeral for Samuel, but he can't even be there at the funeral. And, and I think all of that's kind of penting up in David. And now David's going to encounter something else in his life. And as a result of that, we can see that David doesn't always respond the way God wants him to respond. So let's go on. Then the Bible tells us that then David moved down to, to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. 
he had 3,000 sheep and 100 goats, and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep sharing time. In other words, it was a time of harvest. It was a good time. It was a time of celebration. It was kind of like a time of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the Bible tells us at that time that there was a man who was a very wealthy man. Notice what it says. He said, and this man's name was Nabal, and his wife, her name was Abigail, and she was a sensible and beautiful woman, but Nabal, a descendant of Caleb. That's important. Why? Because if you remember anything about Caleb, Caleb was one of the spies that went into the promised land with Joshua. Actually, there were 12 spies, and Joshua and Caleb come back from the promised land, and both Joshua and Caleb say, we can go in and take the land. And the Bible says that all of the Israelites died in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. They did not want to go in except for Joshua and Caleb. And God blesses Caleb for his faith. God blesses Caleb because he's a man of character, integrity, and courage. In fact, in his old age, the Bible says that, that Caleb said, we can go and take that mountain. And as a result of that, God blesses Caleb. But unfortunately, Caleb's uh, son and uh, son and another son and another son and another son. Caleb's um, uh, uh, sons and great grandsons did not do the right thing. They did not serve the Lord. And as a result of that, we can find that Nabal now is not a God fearing man. In fact, the Bible says about Nabal that Nabal was a crude man. He was mean in all of his dealings. Nabal was a Scrooge. He was tight with his money. He was tight-fisted. He was proud. He was arrogant. In fact, Nabal, the name Nabal in Hebrew actually means fool. Now, the Bible talks a lot about fools. Why? Because we don't want to be a fool. In fact, there's five Hebrew words in the Old Testament for fool. One of those words is a word called Nabal. And that word means that, is a, that that person is a steadfast fool. First of all, it means that that person does not really believe that God exists. And the Bible says the fool says in his heart, the Nabal says in his heart, there is no God. And, and, and that kind of fool is the kind of guy who realizes that, you know what, he, he's done everything himself. He's made a, a living for himself. He's a wealthy person, and he believes that he's a self-made millionaire. He doesn't believe that God helped him to do it. He doesn't look to God. He's proud. He's arrogant. He's rash. He, in a, so many ways, this is the kind of guy that really believes that the world revolves around him. And the Bible says that Nabal was a man who dealt with people in a ruthless way. In all of his dealings, he was crude and mean. The Bible says, when David heard that Nabal was sharing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since 
We have come at a time of celebration. Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, David moves from the cave of Adullam, and he goes down to the wilderness of Moab. And you know, in the Old Testament, God tells the people of Israel that, number one, they are to be good to immigrants. They are to be good to strangers. They're to treat strangers with compassion. Now, obviously, they needed to be smart about who they embrace into the camp. But they needed to be good to strangers. On the other hand, when there was someone who was a military person, he was to be good to the shepherds. And so here we find David now. He's got 600 men, and they camp in the, in the wilderness of Moab, right near where, where, where Nabal lives. And as a result of that, David takes it upon himself to actually kind of build a wall of safety around Nabal's uh, servants and, and his shepherds and his sheep and his his goat. So David is really good to Nabal. In fact, if you, if you follow the story, it talks about how David becomes this wall of protection and that he made sure that no one stole anything from Nabal. And so now David realizes, you know, he's getting hungry and his men are getting hungry and Nabal's got all of these resources. So he simply asks Nabal, listen, I've been really good to you by protecting you. Have you ever been really good to somebody? And you know, they didn't ask you to be good to them. And when, when you go and ask them for something, they go, well, I didn't ask you to be good to me. You want to like, oh, strap your sword on, you know. And so the Bible says that Nabal now uh, hears from David, and David makes this request. Notice what happens. Nabal says, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Who, who does this son of David think that he is? There are a lot of servants these days that run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. And David said, boys, get your sword on. David strapped his sword on, then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail. Remember, who is Abigail? Abigail's this beautiful babe that is married to Nabal, who's smart, who's intelligent, who's humble, and who's godly. And the Bible says that, that one of the servants rushes back to Abigail, and he says, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. But he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us. We have never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time that we, they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what you're going to do. For there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep and a partridge in a pear tree, and had them slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes, and she packed them on donkeys and said to her servant, go ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. Why? Because he would not listen. 
So she was, as she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward him. Her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. David is having a pity party. David's thinking to himself, you know, I did all this good for this guy, and he repays me with evil. Have you ever done something really good for somebody? And it's not just that they didn't do something to you, but they repaid you with evil. Well, here David's learning now how to deal with somebody when he's been good to them. You know, the Bible talks a lot about loving our enemies. It talks a lot about doing good. It talks about going the second mile. And God's shaping David into being a man after God's own heart. Didn't Jesus say that we're to love our enemies and we're to do good and to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect in heaven. And so God is fashioning and molding David and he's watching to see how David responds to this situation so he can teach David how to be a really good man of God and a servant leader. And so now, now they, they confront one another, and David says, May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. David is bent on not only killing Nabal, but killing every man in his household. You, th- you talk about, you know, the punishment not fitting the crime. This is, like, this is like, you know, David, the same guy that's being chased around by Saul. Saul's made his life miserable, a living hell, and David, David actually spares Saul's life, but now Nabal is not willing to give David a cup of coffee and David says, strap your swords on. We're going to kill him and every male in his household. Wow, you talk about anger. And friend, I want to tell you something. This is the same David that said, I will not touch the anointing of the Lord. This is the same David that said, vengeance is the Lord. I'm not going to take matters into my own hand. That's why we need to recognize day by day by day, we need to be walking in the Holy Spirit. Because on one day, we could do the right thing. On the next day, we might not do the right thing. That's why we need to have the full armor of God on. We need to be in the Word. We need to be praying. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to control our attitude every Every single day. I am amazed how holy I am one day and how unholy I am the next day. Come on, somebody. I'm amazed how I can control myself and be a godly man when somebody gets right in my face. And then the next day, man, I'm just like, come on, strap on the sword, buddy. I'm, 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 I'm ready to take, take your head off, right? And that's why we've got to, to understand that it's a daily battle. It's a spiritual battle that we're on, that we're, we're confronting every single day. That's why we've got to make sure that we have those disciplines in our life so that we can have an even keel life. You don't want to be up and down. You don't want to respond the wrong way and then respond the right way, wrong, wrong way, right way. You want to be even keel. You want to respond the way God wants you to respond on a daily basis. Somebody help me out and say amen. If you can't say amen, say oh me. And notice, notice what the Bible says. Abigail intercedes for Nabal. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame for this matter, my Lord. Wow. You talk about a picture of Jesus. Now, I want you to know every time you read the Old Testament, You've got to see our Lord and Savior in every page of every scripture of every story in the Old Testament. 
Why? Because this is an incredibly beautiful story about a woman who intercedes for her foolish husband. I want you to know today, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We were the fool. We were the one who spit at Jesus. We were the one that mocked Jesus. We were the one that crucified Jesus. It wasn't the Romans. It was my sin. It was your sin. And Jesus took all the blame for us. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus, that I can find you in every passage, in every scripture, that Jesus interceded. He actually went to the Father and said, Father, I take all the blame for Steve Malazzo. I take all of his sin upon myself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ who made peace with God. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad for Jesus who gave us peace? That's what Christmas is all about. Somebody said that Jesus is the reason for the season. Somebody else said, but you're also the reason for the season. Why? Because it was for you that Jesus came and died on the cross. Come on, somebody say, I'm the reason for the season. But Abigail humbles herself, and she gets off her horse, and she bows before David. And notice what Abigail says. This is, this is so powerful. She said, please listen to what I have to say. I know that Nabal is a wicked man. He's ill-tempered. Please don't pay any attention to him because he's a fool. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I just can't, I can't believe, though, that a, a mother would name their son a fool. I mean, she was named by somebody. He was named by somebody. So his name actually means in the Hebrew, a fool. So Abigail says that's what his name means. It means that he is a fool. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. He's he's talking about what, what David did. She's telling David, David, remember that you have done the right thing. This is not a time to let go of your integrity. This is not the right time to let go and of the restraint that you've had towards Saul, but do the right thing. And I want to tell you, there's somebody in this room today, this is not the time that you let go of your integrity. This is not the time that you let go of your restraint. Trust God. I know you're right in the middle of it. I know it seems like somebody's taking advantage of you. I know that you've blessed somebody and you've helped somebody and they've, gone, they've done evil instead of good for you. Don't lose it now. Say, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you're going to keep me controlled. Walk in the Holy Spirit and do the right thing. Come on, somebody say amen. So Abigail says, I, I know that you have had great restraint. Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I have for you, your servant. Your servants have brought to you and your young men, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. There we go. She's taking it upon herself again. She's a peacemaker. Abigail is a peacemaker. There are three kinds of people in this world. There are peacemakers, there are peace fakers, and there are peace breakers. What kind of person are you? Are you a peacemaker? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Hey, listen to me. The truth of the matter is, is that you could either be a peacemaker, 
You can make peace. The Bible says that we have been called and we have been commissioned to be reconcilers, that we reconcile people to God, we reconcile people to people, and we can be peacemakers. We make peace. And you know what? There's an investment that you make when you make peace. There is a price to be paid when you make peace. There's a sacrifice that you need to bring. And Abigail, she brought a sacrifice. Why? Because it always takes work to be a peacemaker. It doesn't take a whole lot of work to be a peacebreaker. It doesn't take a whole lot of uh, work to be a peace faker. But it always takes sacrifice. It always takes work to be a peacemaker. But if you want to be like God, you need to be a peacemaker. Come on. Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so we need to make peace with people around us. We need to make peace with God. And we need to make peace for people in our life. Or you can be a peace faker. You know what a peace faker is? A peace faker says, oh, yes, I love everybody. You know, I, I forgive you for the, th- but you harbor unforgiveness in your heart. You smile on the outside, but on the inside, you've got bitterness in your heart. The Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look at your smiles. He's not looking at you raising your hands, praising the Lord, bless God, I love Jesus. But on the inside, you can't even sit with that person in the same row because they did something wrong to you. Listen to me. You, you must understand that every one of us in this room, we are obligated to forgive people who hurt us. You say, no, I have a right to hold on to unforgiveness. Jesus said we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. How many of you are thankful that God has forgiven you? Come on, let me see your hands. How many know that we we sin against God all the time and God always forgives us? He's slow to wrath, full of mercy and grace. Hallelujah. See, I think anyone who's holding on to unforgiveness in their life doesn't truly understand what God has really done for them. And when you hold on to unforgiveness in your own life, it stops the flow of grace in your life. God cannot God will not forgive you unless you forgive those who hurt you. Wow. God wants you to let go. Don't be a peace faker. A peace faker says, there's nothing wrong. I don't have anything to talk about. I don't need to deal with anything. We just suppress it. You know what happens if you suppress it too long? When somebody doesn't give you a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, you strap on your sword and you want to take their head off. I mean, you just watch Facebook a little. See how these people react when somebody does something wrong. Did you see that, that, that Facebook uh, video of that young man who went ballistic because somebody got his sandwich wrong? You talk about a dude that doesn't have forgiveness in his heart. You say to yourself, well, I would never do that. Oh, really? Oh, really? You see, we're not very forgiven to people. We don't have a whole lot of patience with people when we don't recognize how much patience and forgiveness God has had for us. So we can be a peacemaker, we can be a peace faker, or we can be a peace breaker. Let me ask you a question. Are you a peace breaker? Oh, I'm not a peace breaker. Do you gossip about people? When you gossip about people, you're breaking peace. Mm -hmm. You're breaking peace amongst people. So you could be a peacemaker, peace faker, or peace breaker. It's up to you. Abigail chooses to be a peacemaker. And she says... Please forgive me if I have offended you anyway. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battle. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life, David. 
Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. Now check this out. How is it that Nabal didn't know who David was, but his wife did? Come on, somebody. Secure in his treasure pouch, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stone shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you a leader in Israel, don't let this blemish be on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember your servant. Abigail says, David, you don't want to do that. Why? Because you've got a bright future. You've got a great future. And you don't want to look back when you're a king and say, man, I took the lives of all these people because somebody didn't want to give me a cup of coffee. Listen to me. Every one of us in this room, we've got a great future in our life. And thank God that we've got some people that can talk sense into our life. I want to do that today for you. I want to talk some sense into your life. I want to talk to you a little bit more about Nabal the fool. And how do we know that a person is really a fool? And the Bible tells us that, that David then replies, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you from keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance on my hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said, and we will not kill your husband. Now it gets funny. So Abigail goes home. And she tells her husband, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, I just saved your life because David was coming with 400 men and they were going to kill you and your men. And the Bible says that coward got so afraid that he had a heart attack. He was frozen for 10 days and he died. And what does David do? David goes, now she's mine and marries the woman. Come on, somebody. You can't write this. You can't make this up. You cannot make this story up. But, but in all of this, we can learn some things about David, about Abigail, and about Nabal. You know, the Bible speaks so much about being a fool. And the reason why the Bible speaks about it is because God doesn't want us to be a fool. He doesn't want us to live like a fool. He doesn't want us to act like a fool. He doesn't want us to behave like a fool. He doesn't want us to, to understand. He doesn't want us to, to, to lose what God wants for us to have because of our foolish ways. And the Bible talks about it in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The Bible says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. In other words, everything's right in, in only in his eyes. He doesn't see it any other way but his way. Proverbs 14, 16, a fool is arrogant and careless. Proverbs 18, 2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Proverbs 23, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man. But any fool will quarrel. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds back. So the Bible's definition of a fool is not somebody that lacks intelligence, but it's somebody who lacks character. Listen to me. There's a lot of people that don't have high IQs, but they have incredible EQ. They understand how to respond to people. 
they understand relationships. There's a lot of people that have, maybe they've never gone to get their PhD. You know what that means, right? Papa has dough. They never got their PhD. They never got their master's degree. They don't have a lot of head knowledge, but they have a lot of character. They, they have a lot of integrity. They have a lot of compassion and love for God. And friend, let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you how smart you were. God's going to ask you, how was your character? How was your integrity? How was your love for me? How was your love for other people? Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not downing intelligence, and I'm not telling you you shouldn't go to college. And please, young people, don't go home and say, Pastor Steve said I don't have to go to college. I didn't say that. What I said to you that is EQ and understanding that a person of character character and a person of integrity and a person of compassion and a person of, of love and a person that does the right thing is always, always more important than a person that just fills their mind with intelligence. And so when we talk about the fool, we talk about a person who doesn't have character. Now, Nabal is a fool. He's a steadfast fool. And why is Nabal a fool? I'm going to tell you why. And here's where it might hurt a little bit, okay? Here's where I might step on some toes right now. Nabal, listen to me, was a fool because he put his money and he put his things before God Almighty. Nabal was a fool because he loved his money more than he loved his God. Nabal was a fool because he thought that because he had so much money, because Nabal had a lot of things that he could make decisions on his own and not really inquire of the Lord. Nabal loved money. Nabal was addicted to things more than he loved God and he loved the people. And in the end of Nabal's life, Nabal is actually hated by his men and he's hated by his family. We don't even hear anything about his children. Listen to me. The ultimate fool is the person who spends all of their time trying to hold on to everything they will try to get and acquire that they, they are eventually going to lose in their life. I'm reminded of the story in the, in the book of Luke. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus talks about a fool. He says there was a certain man he was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. He was a Scrooge. And the Bible says he worked and worked and worked and worked. And when he got to the point where he filled up his barn, he said, what shall I do now? My barns are full. And the Bible says that the fool said to himself, I will tear down the barn and build a bigger barn. So he built a bigger barn. And then when that barn got full, the Bible says that he said, now what should I do? He said, well, I, I'll know what I'll do. I'll just tear down my barn and I'll build a bigger one again. And so at the end of his life, he didn't know it was the end of his life, but at the end of his life, the rich fool said, now that I've acquired so much now that I've worked so hard, now that I've spent all my time working, now that I've spent all my time at work, no time with the kids, no time with the wife, no time with friends, no time in church, no time giving to the poor, no time using my talents, my treasures, and my time for the kingdom of God. Now that I've got time, I'm going to take my ease. And the Bible says at that moment, God said to this rich man, you fool, tonight, your life is required of you. 
And who will get all that you amassed for yourself? You don't have any friends. You don't have any family. You, you wasted all your time trying to keep it for yourself. And who's going to get it in the first place? The IRS is going to get it. And guess what? Tonight, your life is required of you. And the Bible says this is how it will be for all the people who are not rich toward God. Wow. This is how it's going to be when we stand before God one day. God's going to ask you the question, were you rich towards my kingdom? Did you put me first? So let me ask you a question this afternoon. Are you rich towards God? Are you rich? I mean, listen, let it sink in. Before you answer that question, really think for a moment. Are you rich towards God? You see, there's a lot of preachers today that preach a message. It's a false message. It's a me-centered message. And the message is, if you give your life to God, if you come to church on Sunday morning, if you give in the offering, if you give $1,000, you'll get $100,000. You know, if, 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 if you give in the offering, God will give back to you, press down, shake together, running over. He's required to do that. And today is your best day, and today is going to be the best day, the beginning of your life. That's a great life. Listen, Jesus never promised you that you would have a great life on this earth. In fact, the Bible tells us that if you serve Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you do the right thing, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be, you know, a lot of times rejected. Things are not going to always go well in your life. You're going to have a difficult life, but you're not storing your treasures on earth. You're storing your treasures in heaven. You are building for heaven. You are building the kingdom of God. Friend, it's not about what God can do for you. It's about what you can do for God. Ask not what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. Come on, somebody. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and, and follow me daily. Listen to me. I don't, I don't want to mislead you. This pastor is not going to mislead you today. If you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you will have to give Jesus everything that you have. And he becomes king of your life. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't have some fun in your life. I'm not suggesting that you can't have some money stored away for retirement. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't work. I'm suggesting that you should do all those things. But put it in perspective. Put it in its right place. And understand that the only thing that Jesus is going to ask you when you get to heaven, he's not going to ask you how big your house was, how many cars you had. He's not going to ask you what kind of certificate or diploma you had on your wall. He's going to ask you, were you rich toward my kingdom? In fact, Jesus gives us this parable in Matthew chapter 25. He said, and on the day of judgment, many will come before the Lord. And the Lord will say to them, depart from me, I don't know you. For when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't give me clothes. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And some are going to say, Jesus, when did we see that you were hungry? When did we see that you were naked? And when did we see you were in prison? And Jesus will say, when you did it, Unto the least of them, you did it unto me. See, Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. Don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about what you eat. He said, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means that God has all of your heart. It means that you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It means that God comes first, that we're not to have any other idols above God. Oh, I don't have any idols in my life, Pastor Steve. I don't bow down before wooden idols. No, no, no. We just sit on our couch and watch the flat screen TV in our corner in our living room. And we spend all of our time amassing our wealth. And we're not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? God comes first. He has all of our heart. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It means that we love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, Nabal was a fool. Because he missed the divine opportunities and appointments that God set up in his life. Listen to me. Look at me. Nabal was a fool because he missed the moment when a king came knocking on his door that smelled like a shepherd. (laughs) David was a king. David was about to enter into his kingship. And could you imagine for a moment if Nabal would have done the right thing? It was a divine appointment. God gave Nabal a divine appointment, a divine opportunity, a divine appointment with a king that smelled like a shepherd. And listen to me. If Nabal would have responded with compassion, if Nabal would have responded with love, if Nabal would have responded with respect, David would have remembered Nabal. And when he was in his palace, David would have said, you remember that guy Nabal? He was really good to me. He didn't pass me by. He didn't close his eyes. But when I came and I had a need, he met the need. I want him to sit at my table. Nabal could have been David's best friend. Instead, Nabal dies a fool. Why? Because he missed his opportunity. Let me suggest to you today that God is always setting up divine opportunities for you and I. He's sending us people He's sending us kings. He's sending us people that have a great future in their life. But right now, they smell like a shepherd. Oh, it's the homeless person. It's that person at work that you keep on avoiding. It's that difficult situation that you keep on avoiding. It's that divine opportunity to minister to someone. It's a king in the making. I'm so glad that God saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. You see, I'm that person. I'm that king that smells like a shepherd. You're that king that smells like a shepherd. And we were all those people, and somebody gave us an opportunity to meet the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, every single day, there's a divine opportunity coming your way. Don't miss that divine opportunity to minister to a a future king. Oh, Tuesday night, a couple of us, we went to, to the train station, and we sang some songs, and we prayed around the nativity. And then we went out to Dunkin' Donuts that evening to celebrate, and I was with my children. And this young man walked into Dunkin' Donuts, and I could tell right away, by the way, he was staggering a little bit. He was disheveled, that he was high as a kite. And he started walking around asking people if they can, if somehow he can borrow their phone. And, and everybody's kind of, we're just kind of annoying, uh, ignoring him. I was, I was just sitting there watching this whole thing take place. And, and I, to be honest with you, I didn't jump up right away either. He went into the restroom. He came out of the restroom and he asked one more person. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, that's a king in the making. 
That's a king in the making. That's a king that smells like a shepherd, that smells like a homeless person, that looks like a loser, somebody that, that, that you just need to avoid in life. And I jumped up, went over to this young man. I said, I won't let you use my phone, but I'll make the phone call for you. I made the phone call. It was his girlfriend. She didn't want to talk to him. We hung up the phone, and I looked at this young man, and I said to this young man, young man, you don't have to live like this for the rest of your life. I said, you're high as a kite. What do you want? He told me. I didn't, even, I didn't even recognize the name of the drug that he was on, and my heart broke. I pulled out a piece of paper. I took a pen, and I said, young man, look at me. One day, you're going to need this phone number. One day, you're going to realize that you're going to get to the end of yourself, and God has a plan for your life, and God wants to do something great in your life, and God wants to deliver you from this drug addiction. God has a plan, and it's a big plan for your life. And when you, when you get to the end of yourself, here's my phone number. You call me, and I'm going to help you get into a program, and I'm going to be there for you. Why? Because that was my divine appointment. That was my divine appointment with a future king. And I'm telling you today that God is going to put people in your path. This is a great time. It's a holiday time. It's a, a sheer time where we can share the joy of God with one another and we can love God and we can point people to Jesus and there's an opportunity coming your way to treat somebody that smells like sheep like a king. The third reason why Nabal was a fool because the truth is Nabal was a fool because he had a beautiful, incredibly hot woman in his house who loved God. He was a fool because he didn't recognize the people that God put in his life, and he wasn't thankful for the people that were in his life. I mean, think about it. The Bible says Nabal is a fool. He's a Scrooge. But Abigail, she's beautiful. She's a babe, man. She's amazing. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says not only is she beautiful, but but. But she's a godly woman. She's a woman of intelligence. She's a woman of humility. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. She goes out at night and works, and she works her, her hands to the bone. She prays for her children. She prays for her husband. She does all kinds of things to make sure that her family's doing well. She makes sure that she brings her children to church. She makes sure she does the right thing all the time. And Nabal, he was a fool. Why? Because he didn't know, he didn't realize, or maybe he realized and he didn't care that he had such an incredible gem. Let me tell you that Abigail was a gem in his house and he took her for granted and let me step on some toes right now there's somebody in this room you're a fool you know why you're a fool because you've got a gem in your house for a wife she loves you she prays for you she intercedes for you she brings you she brings your kids to church because you won't come to church half the time maybe you're watching via live stream man she's always praying for you she even takes the blame sometimes for you she loves you with an everlasting love and you take her for granted let me tell you right now you need to go home. You need to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're a godly woman. I probably wouldn't even be here if it weren't for you. And you need to be thankful for the wife that God gave you. Come on. All, and all the women said, and all the women said, oh, wait a minute, women. I'm not done yet. 
Because I want to tell you something. There's a woman in this room. You're a fool. Because you got a husband that comes to church. Maybe you're watching via live stream because you didn't get yourself out of bed today. But you're a fool because you got a husband who loves you. He's a man of God. And he prays for your family. He intercedes for your family. He goes to work every day. He supports your family. He brings your kids to church every week. And he blesses you with his words. And you take him for granted. You're a fool. And all the men said, oh, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I might as well offend everybody right now. <laughs> There's a young person in this room. You're a son or a daughter, and you're a fool. You know why? Because you got godly parents who love you and love God, and they're willing to tell you the truth. And let me tell you something, young person. Your parents know a lot more than you think they do. They've been around the block a few times, and they've got some wisdom from God. And listen to me. You don't want to listen to them, and you take them for granted, and you take them for granted in the way they love you and the way they take care of you and the way they come to church and they show you the right way. I thank God that I'm, I, I'm at the point right now that my kids, my daughters are old enough and I'm young enough that I'm still alive to hear them say, Daddy, you were right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful, hallelujah, that I've got some girls, uh, I've got some daughters that are thankful for their daddy and they don't take their daddy for granted. I thank God for that. And I want to tell you something. Don't wait for your daddy or your mother not to be here any longer. They might leave, they might go somewhere or they might die. Don't wait for that to happen. Tell them now how much you love them. Tell them how, how much you appreciate them. Tell them thank you, thank you, thank Thank you for all that you do. Don't be a navel. Don't be a fool and take for granted the people that are in your life. Let me go on before I offend, offend anybody else. So what's, 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 what's the moral of the story? Here's the question as the worship team comes right now. Here's the question. Are you a navel? Are you an Abigail? Are you a David? The question is, have you been working so hard? Have you been putting money before anything else in your life? Or have you been taking the time to really love God and appreciate the people that God has put in your life? Don't be a Nabal. Don't be a fool. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? Jesus said, don't be a fool. Don't run after all these things and forfeit your soul. Now, he's not just talking about eternity. Your soul is the real you who needs to be connected to God on a daily basis who needs to be connected to God's word on a daily basis, who needs to spend time feeding off of God on a daily basis. And when we give our time to everything else, when we give our time to all these other things and we don't take time for God, we forfeit our soul every single day. Jim Elliott, a missionary to Ecuador, says he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep 
to embrace what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now this afternoon, God, for every person in this room, oh God, God, I pray that we would not be fools. Lord, you said today is the day of salvation. We don't know when our life is required of us, Lord. And so, God, today, right now, we can change. We can start by making you first in our life, by making you Lord of our life. And so you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. And you're saying to me, Pastor Steve, I'm just going to be honest with you. A year ago, two years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I came to the altar and I, I said, Jesus, come into my life. But I want to be honest with you, Pastor Steve. God is not first in my life. Money is things are my family are is but not God's not first but today I want God to be first in my life I want God to be number one in my life if God is not Lord of all he's not Lord at all don't be a fool don't be a navel today's your opportunity to surrender your life to God you say Pastor Steve I've taken for granted the people in my life and I want to change. I want to make sure that the people in my life know how precious and how important they are in my life. I don't want to take them for granted any longer. Or maybe you've been that Abigail who's interceded and you keep on interceding for your husband and your wife. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And don't miss those divine opportunities. Those times when God sets up somebody that comes in your path like the Good Samaritan. Be the person who stops and sees something in that person that no one else can see. Lord, we pray today, God, that you would just Help us to, to recognize, Lord Jesus, that life is, is very short. And the only thing that matters is what we do for God. So, Lord, we give you our hearts and our lives today. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. If you say, Pastor Steve, I need to make God number one in my life, not number two. Pastor Steve, I need, I need to just give God my whole heart. Now, giving God your time, your talents, and your treasures doesn't get you to heaven. You get to heaven because Jesus died on the cross, and you accept it as a free gift. But the outworking of that is that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Today, you need to put God first. You need to say, God, you're first in my life. By the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to make God first in my life. I want you to stand right now. Stand right now, wherever you are, stand. Say, yes, I'm putting God first in my life. Come on, stand right now. Stand. God comes first in my life. 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 
you're here, you say, Pastor Steve, I'm, there's somebody in my life that I need to make sure they know that I love them. And I don't take them for granted. I want you to stand up right now. Say, God, give me strength to love the people that mean the most to me in my life. Pastor Steve, I've been, I've been so busy with everything else that I haven't been rich towards God. But I want to start being rich towards God. Stand to your feet right now. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to sing a cappella. If you could just shut the music off for a moment. And the rest of us today, I want you to stand for a moment. Everybody's standing for a moment. And I want you to sing this song with me. For he is Lord, he is Lord, he has risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Sing it one more time. For he is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And he is Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I'm going to ask the altar counselors to come. And I want you to know that every Sunday, there's going to be a group of people up at the front, and they're going to pray for you. So if you need prayer today, maybe you need prayer for a relationship. Maybe you need prayer because this is the first day that you've given your life to Jesus. Let these folks up front give you the information you need so that you can start your journey off in the right way. Listen, listen to me, look at me. Let's not just emotionally respond to this message today, but let's take the next step. And the next step is for you to say, I'm gonna start learning and growing. If you don't come the foundations class, start coming the foundations class. Begin to learn the word of God so that you can have a good foundation in your life. But if you need prayer today, maybe it's not, it doesn't even have anything to do with this message, but you need prayer. There's going to be people here that want to pray with you right now. But before we do that, let's just raise our hands towards heaven and let's just ask the Lord now to make it real in our heart. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? Thank you that you took all the blame and you interceded for me because at one time, like a fool, I was a sinner. 
Today, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord, not just Savior, but Master and Lord of my life. From this day forward, I want to be rich towards you with my time, my talent, and my treasure. Thank you, Lord. Your mercy is great. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. As you go today, don't ever forget God has a plan for your life, and it's big. Don't miss the divine appointments, but minister to a king in the making. God bless you. Have a great day. God bless you.